0: Shalom from Israel. This is Jonathan Feldstein. Welcome back to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm so glad that you're here with us today and listening to this. Um, we're going to get into some really interesting uh, conversations today, as as we always do, and we always try and change it up a little bit. Um, but I'm really excited that as as a project of the Genesis One Two Three Foundation, we're able to have these conversations and get your input. And I always want to invite you to comment to ask questions, um, especially for future segments where I might very likely invite today's guest to come back for another one, or ask the rabbi section uh, segments that we're, that we're uh, doing. So you can ask anything about Judaism. and We want to be able to answer that. And ultimately, our bottom line is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new and unique and meaningful. And it's a privilege for me as an Orthodox israeli jew to be to be speaking with you today from israel on something that actually has a uh, significant um biblical connection to us all um our guest today my guest our guest is rabbi Chaim leiter uh rabbi leiter was born in philadelphia he grew up um, there since 1978 and he made aliyah came to israel as a new immigrant in 2009 he has a degree in education from the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, and began studying for his rabbinic ordination at Yeshivat Chobavei Torah in New York, and then came to Israel where he completed his rabbinic ordination at Yeshivat HaMiftar, which is in Efrat, where we ha- both happened to live in the Judean mountains um, in 2011. Um, Rabbi Leiter has been teaching Judaic studies at some really prominent uh, institutions here in Israel. Including the Pardes Institute and Midrash at Darkenu. Um he we were just speaking before uh, before recording about his um, uh, wonderful experiences performing weddings throughout Israel. But he's also uh, got a specialty that's really unique, and and probably for not probably is for another conversation. Um, he's spent a lot of his time and life over the last uh, probably 15 years studying. And, and practicing the observance of the Jewish commandment, britz milah, uh, circumcision, which we know comes from uh, the commandment that uh, that, a- that God gave to Abraham to circumcise his son. And he studied for two and a half years with some very interesting people who I know, one who's a dentist and one who's a, a pediatrician, all who do this with a tremendous amount of, of love um, the the term in Hebrew the, the uh, such a title does not have to be a rabbi is is a mohel so Rabbi Leiter has been pro- performing uh, circum- ritual circumcisions as a mohel um, for the better part, for for about ten years and I do look forward to having him back to discuss that it's a really great topic um, he's written extensively on that and uh, and on a whole wide range of topics relating to Jewish life and life in Israel uh, for for a variety of um, uh, websites, including the Jerusalem Post, Times of Israel, Mariv, which is a Hebrew site, and Arutz Sheva uh, here in Israel as well. And three years ago, which is really wonderful, and I guess maybe this is a good uh, prequel for for our next episode, um, he established an organization called Magain Habrit, which I guess literally translates to, um, a shield of the circumcision or of the, the, the commandment for circumcision, which is an organization, I guess it, it's best described as protecting both the sacred ritual of the circumcision of the, what's called the Britney line in Hebrew and the children who undergo it. That's really, really important. And as a father of two sons and grandfather of two, two grandsons, really, really super personal. And that we'll, we'll hold off for our next, um, our next uh, segment sometime. Um, but what's also really interesting, and I only learned this about him recently, he also hosts the podcast with a friend of his, Pastor Ralph Supper, called You'll Never Believe This. Twice a month, they have a, a podcast discussing religion, spirituality, um, stand-up comedy, and even surfing uh
1: we're a little all over the place all yeah.
0: <laughs> over the place and I and in, in full disclosure I have not less yet listened to any of your podcasts but I look forward to that and I look I'm so glad that you're able to join us today because this is going to be a really interesting uh topic oh I, I also by way of full disclosure Rabbi Leiter and his wife Leah and their four children are my immediate next-door neighbors <laughs> in in an apartment building that we can literally throw things from our from our balconies at, at one another. Not that we, we haven't
1: yet. gotten to that point yet, where we're not that angry at each other just yet. We... No,
0: but like a water <laughs> balloon fight, or if we sure. have snowballs next winter, it'll be great. It'll be fun. Um, yeah, and we and we block their view of of Jerusalem and the and the Temple Mount. Just, just a little, a little
1: bit. bit. No, actually, no. We get to see the Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, but you, you block some of our view. But it's we we don't mind. We don't okay, mind.
0: Good. We're good neighbors. <laughs> now today today's topic. Which is not related to any of his uh, specialties yet. Although I, knowing him, I think that he's really coming in super well prepared. We're going to talk about Shemitah, the sabbatical year, which which is amazing because every year, every seven years. I'm not going to get into this. I'm not a rabbi, and actually, I'm I've I've been through uh, three or four sabbatical years. I guess if I'm here since 2004, we've experienced it, and and actually a couple of times. We had one, the last one was 2015, and before that was 2007, so I guess it's only two of them, but it feels like more. Every seven years is a sabbatical year. We're going to talk about that and where it comes from biblically, and Jews observe it according to the biblical commandment that that we have, But, uh, but probably Rabbi Leiter knows this as well through his own interaction. I certainly do. More and more Christians are connecting with the biblical calendar, the Jewish calendar. Sure. So the fact that we are having this unique, um, exciting yet complex year of of what it means to let everything lie fallow and 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 what that means is is a really great opportunity to expose this. So uh, as Um, The Jewish world, or or I should say the world who follows the biblical calendar, understands that we are in the year 5782 since creation, happens to be one, I've never divided that by seven, but maybe that works, and, and it happens to be one of the sabbatical years.
1: Correct. It is definitely one of the sabbatical years. And um, so do we want to start with the origins? Yeah? Yeah. Where it comes from. All right so let's start with the beginning start at the very beginning right as we say so the the first mention of uh the sabbatical year comes from exodus 23 10 to 11 um and i'll just read this out right because this is the short one of the shorter segments it says for six years you uh, are to sow your land and to gather it into produce but in the seventh you are to let it go fallow and to let it be i mean resting i'm sort of having a little bit of trouble with the translation but you get the idea um that the needy of your people may eat what remains in the wildlife in the fields shall eat do thus with your vineyard with your olive grove okay so that's the first mention and it seems like we have the idea of resting laying fallow right but also comes in there which is actually quite nice and i think we'll get more detail about that a little later we get the idea of who gets to take a partake of the of the food by the the way let me just
0: interrupt it's fascinating because we talk about exodus the jewish people are not in the land yet right so so we're still in we're still somewhere in the middle of 40 years wandering in the desert mm-hmm. and god's giving us this commandment that when we get there and none of the people who have ever heard this commandment from god have ever been in the land and have no clue what it means
1: in fact most of these people are not going to even get to the land they don't also, know that yet either right so right, <laughs> right. right. So yeah, spoiler it's, alert, spoiler, sorry, if you <laughs> haven't gotten there yet. So yes. So these people um, are hearing this command and they are um, sort of, I'm not sure if they even understand how they're going to live, how, what they're going to do with their land, how they're going to till it, you know, wh- what's going to be when they get there, but already they're being told, guess what? Every seven years, the land will lay fallow. Um, So, I I mean, the first thing that I gleaned from this before we go into the more detailed section, the first thing that you gleaned from this is that this is obviously supposed to be um, a Shabbat, right? We have, we have Shabbat as the Jewish people, right? We keep every seven days, right? On Shabbat, on Saturdays, we rest. Um, we don't do any sort of work. Um, and what, one of the amazing stories that we have from the Talmud, um, is about Rabbi Akiva and that he actually ends up becoming Jewish. He starts out not Jewish. It comes, comes to Judaism later in life, uh, because he sees that the, the Jews actually let their animals rest. And he's impressed by that. Right. We're not even able to work our animals on Shabbat. So it starts from us, the people. Right. To then the animals. And then you get this next section, which is the land. The land itself every seven years gets a break as well. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm not a farmer. So somebody can correct me in the uh, in the comment section if I'm wrong about this. I believe that everyone sort of does this in some respects that you divide your field up in some way and you work your field, some of it, but some of it you let rest because it's good for the land to do that. Um, um, anyway, it, it produces as just, more. As,
0: as just yeah? agriculture. Correct. Correct.
1: Correct. Um, so that's the first section. Uh, and if you don't have any other gleanings, we can go into these sort of more detailed uh, underpinnings of what we get in the next section from the Torah. You ready out for the next? Yeah. So, okay. So in, on to, uh, Vaikras, we call it Leviticus 25, 1. Um, it's actually the beginning of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Parshat Bahar, which is, uh, on the mountain. Um, God then says again, now Leviticus, where are we now? Um, we've left Egypt. Um, we're somewhere by Mount Sinai. Um, and we're hearing all these commandments from God. Uh, and still we haven't even, you know, we're not even on our way to, uh, to the land quite yet. We're, we're just getting the Torah, getting the commandments. And it says, um, God says to us that you shall, right. He said, I don't want to go through every Line because it's quite, it's about 22, 21 uh, verses, but if you want to see it, it's verses one to 22. But it says pretty much again, you shall observe the Sabbath for the Lord. There'll be six years yet that you'll work your vineyard and then you won't work it. Um, and it says you shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes, right? And you shall, it shall be a complete rest for the land. It says, but this is the important part, but you may eat whatever the land is is producing at that time. Okay, so this could have been food that was planted on the sixth year, um, or it could be uh, food that sort of grew actually on the seventh year. And what's interesting, we'll go into it in another second, is what the status of this food right. is right? Which is a very interesting and important piece. Uh, but it says, again, the cattle and the beasts, they'll eat it. Okay. Um, and in this section, it doesn't, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't talk so much about the uh, the the people who are in need. Um, but that came up in our first section. Um, and then it says, something, and it goes on to another segment, right? First, we've got the whole idea of seven years, letting it rest on the seventh year. But then it says, wait, what happens when you get um, to the 49th and then the 50th year, we get to the thing called the Jubilee year in Hebrew. We call it the Yovel. Right. Okay. And it says you have to, you have to sound a really loud horn on, uh, which I didn't even notice actually is the uh, set in the seventh month. Right. So all these sevens keep coming up. It keeps repeating. Okay. Um, and you have to blast this loud horn on the day of atonement. Okay. Um, and that horn is going to let everyone know now it's the 50th year. And in the 50th year, um everything returns to it as holding all right now what does that mean it means that when we go into the land we have the land split up by tribe okay all the different areas are given different holdings and in in the 49 years previous we can sell in between the different people if something comes up
0: right.
1: somebody needs to sell their land it gets sold to a, another person from another tribe that's acceptable but when we hit the 50th year everything reverts back Right. Okay. Everything goes back to its original holding who who owned it at the beginning. So then it's sort of a reset for everyone and making sure that uh, people are not, I don't know if it's taken advantage of, but that everybody uh, has something. It's all about, in some ways, it's all about social justice in a little way here.
0: Um, Excuse me for interrupting. No, we're both relatively new in our, in our apartments and most land laws in Israel are similar. You don't buy land outright that Technically, according to the, your contract, you're, you're buying land. Um, it's either for a 49 or sometimes I think a 99 year. It's almost like a lease that technically reverts back to the state which owns the land.
1: So here, so what's interesting is I've heard a couple of different things. I didn't do research into that for this specifically. I'm not a, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not a real estate person, but I have heard that the land much of the land in Israel is not owned by ourselves. We don't own it, Correct. right? The land itself is not ours. And, and that actually relates to what we're talking about yes. the land here. Correct. One of the ideas is the land is God's. That's right. right? It's not our land. Um, and in, in this way, I guess that makes the, uh, the government, God, right? Cause they own the land. We don't own the land. Right. So, but, but the idea that we, um, the contracts that's going to come up, we're going to talk about that in a second. Okay. So it says when you sell your property, to your neighbor, um, it, everyone's going to have that for 49 years, then it's going to go back to the original owner. Okay. And you can, and and then it says that the idea is that we're doing all of this. And if you observe this, you'll live in the land in security. Yes. That, that this will help us stay in the land. Um, God will be happy with us. The land, as we've heard in other places in the Torah, and, and it will not spit us out. Right. Because if we do things that, that, that did not are not pleasing to God, it's going to spit us out. And we're going to talk a little bit about that philosophical idea uh, in a couple minutes as well. But um, and then it says this is where it gets really interesting. It says, well, what if you should ask, what am I going to eat in the seventh year? right cuz the seventh year i'm not allowed to sow i'm not about to reap i'm not even allowed to really rate right? the only thing and this this gets into the more specifics uh that the rabbis dealt out but i'm i'm only really allowed to to prune and do those things that i need to do to make sure that my plants don't die I'm not actually allowed to do anything to increase any of the, the, the things that it's going to produce. Okay. That that's not allowed during this year. So if you ask, you know, what am I going to eat? God says, don't worry. I'm going to, the yield that you will get in the sixth year is actually going to be sufficient for three years. So into the ninth year, you will be eating still from that, that you got on the sixth year. Okay. So that's, that's. that's,
0: that's kind of hard for us to think. I mean, forget us to think about. We have refrigerators sure. and freezers and, and mm-hmm. pantries with dry goods, but think about it. Think about uh, uh, 3,500 years ago. 100%. It, 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 we're, we're, you're totally living on faith there. Absolutely. And, and when, when the Jewish people are given this commandment now, maybe it's interesting because we, we weren't planting in the desert. We were living off of God's, uh, maybe that's the lesson we were living off of God's providence Okay. We manna every day.
1: So exactly. That's, that's what I was going to connect it to. I was going to connect it to the mana, right. To the, to the, um, that which God gave us while we were living for 40 years in the desert. Um, we were given these portions, right? We were given a portion every day, which was supposed to sustain us while we were in the desert. And then on Shabbat, we were supposed to take two. Friday. Friday. That's, right. That's fr- fr- sorry. Friday for Shabbat. We're supposed to take two. Right. And you're not actually supposed to go out and, and, and collect that on, on Saturday. You're supposed to um, eat the two that you got. And that should be sufficient. Uh, as usual, we didn't do the greatest job with that right away. We didn't have the faith that we were supposed to have. And, and God gets upset long short in this way. I definitely think um, the connection here is to that, that that we are supposed to be having faith in God, that he's going to provide us with what we need for the coming years in the sixth year. Um, and then, uh, which is really interesting. If you think about it, the 49th year is going to be a year that lays fallow. And then the 50th year is going to be a year that lays fallow, which makes sense why you would need three years, Excellent. right? Because then you're not going to start planting and harvesting and doing all that until the ninth year that year. So God is saying, don't even worry. Even on that, when the time comes that you're going to have the 50th year to lay fallow for now two years in a row, you will have enough to last you even three years.
0: Very Israeli to tell, tell the Jewish people, don't worry. Don't worry. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So this idea uh, of faith is, I think paramount here. I think that we are supposed to um, rely on God in this way. We're supposed to believe that God's going to um, provide for us. What's interesting, I'll just say this as a side note, um, is what are we supposed to do as, as, uh, mortal beings when we don't see it p- playing out that way? Right. And, and one of the examples that, that comes to mind is, um, it says in the second paragraph of the Shema, our, the closest thing that the Jewish people have to a credo, right? Where we say, uh, hero Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. We say that, uh, two times a day. In this, we have two bar- paragraphs thereafter that line. And in the second paragraph, it says, if you're good, You'll get rain. And if you're not good, you won't get rain. And uh, everyone always asks the question, I don't see that. That's not happening. Right. And one of the explanations I've heard, which works. It's not, it's a little bit of an apologetic, but it works is that we're not at that level that, that B'nai Yisrael even should have been. I should say the people of Israel weren't even at that level. I think when they were in the desert, but they were supposed to be at that level. Um, when I was speaking to somebody a couple of days ago about this, I said, Um, we were talking about how you need physical representations like the, the, as a human being, you can't sort of function without some sort of physical manifestation in front of you. So I actually think that we were meant to go through the desert for 40 years with no food whatsoever. It was supposed to be that type of miracle that God was going to provide for us some miraculous way. And we wouldn't even need to eat, but the people couldn't, they couldn't handle that. Like how we don't understand that way of being. So God had to give us the mana and had to give us something. So in a sense, we're, we're sort of seeing the same things here with Shemitah, that you, you need to have some sort of God's assuring us, don't worry, you're going to have that food. Even if God was going to do, was able to do it some other way, you'll get a physical, your physical needs tended to, uh, in this way. So far, so good?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good.
1: Okay, great. Um, so let's let's sort of from from what we get from those two main sections, there's a third section we'll come to in a minute, but the two main sections that we've gotten to so far, let's just sort of briefly outline what we see so far as is going to happen on a practical level. Okay. So Shemitah, on a practical level, um, the first thing we know is obviously that the land is gonna lay foul, right? It's no we're not gonna till it anyway, we're not gonna do anything, we're not gonna pull anything off of the trees. Okay, Um, not to increase
0: the trees, meaning not pruning the trees, but when there's fruit, you're you. You're, you're not only allowed, you're obliged. You take- I
1: believe that the idea here is, is that the fruit itself might even need to fall off. We'll hold off on that oh, and, and right. say that there might be, but the idea of going around and actually harvesting your area, you're not supposed to do that in a way that you've done before. If you needed, I probably, if you needed to eat something, you could walk in and pull off an apple and eat it, right? That's okay. But we don't want you going in and doing your normal everyday Farming. Um, Okay. So one of the interesting things that comes up here, and we'll go into a little more detail in a little bit, is about being debts being forgiven. Uh, right. Debts being forgiven um, was a way also of sort of uh, socialism, so, some sort of uh, way to make sure that money was not resting, I think, in in one or uh, some people's hands too much and other people were left without. So the debts that you had, the, the, the loans that were taken out, especially on the Jubilee year, were then reverted back and they and they became null and void. Okay. And this led to some problems, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. Okay. Um, no, 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 uh, just checking to see if there's, ah, this is the, okay. So this is the important point. One of the things that, that the text doesn't say specifically, but does become a major issue is what is the status of the food that we have that comes from the land? Okay. And the, the status of the food, it has what we call in Hebrew kiddushah.
0: Right, now that okay. has the, that holiness, sanctity. Holiness, right?
1: But but I always say Kiddusha needs a lot of explanation because yes. holiness, right, is not a word that really is a Jewish word. It's it's actually not our word. It's a it's a translation that was later sort of put onto this word. And the kuf dalid resh, which are the three letters which mean kadosh, they actually mean separate. Right. Give you, I'll give you a great example. The, the great example of, of Kedusha that we have is Shabbat is the whole, the day of rest, right? right? People often think because they love Shabbat, right? They don't have to go to work. They don't have to do things. They think this Kedusha means it's elevated, but it doesn't mean that. Okay. Really what it means is it's different from everything else. It's distinct and different in a way. And this is the same thing with this food. The food itself doesn't have. Um, a level uh like, it's not obviously it's not going to taste any better per se. It's not going to be better, but it itself now has some connection to God. Um, and other places we see this is when we would give things over to the temple. Right. And then times when we used to give things to the temple, we would say, um, I'm going to be mikdash." That's the word in Hebrew for dedicating something to the temple. As soon as you do that, it now has a connection to the, the temple. You don't get to use it. Now here in the food that we have in Shemitah, that's, the, that's actually the opposite here. It's not that I'm giving it to the temple and now I can't have it. I need to give it to the temple or its monetary equivalent to the temple. Here I actually do have to eat it. I right. can't let it go to waste. And if I let it go to waste in a sense, it's not, it's not the ideal. Um, but I can't just throw it in the trash. Right. I have to leave it in some sort of container that lets it rot. And only then can I throw it away.
0: Right. Because, and it's interesting and great that you mentioned, the, the 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 root of the of the word kadusha because separating it we're we're taking this even if it's carrot peelings right you can, you can wash a carrot and eat the whole carrot but sometimes people will will peel the carrots or the potatoes or or whatever they may be and and uh or, or the stems of the strawberries um that, that we don't mix it up with regular garbage and that's also that same separation
1: Right, exactly. Um, and so a lot of people, when I first came to Israel, I, I, I don't even think I knew about Shemitah because it, it didn't even really, I mean, no. in America, it's not something, this is definitely a, what we call Talui Ba'aretz. That's the Hebrew for, this is an, a, 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 commandment which only is carried out in the land of Israel.
0: Correct. And there aren't right. that many of them. Uh, right.
1: The, one uh, of those things. Yeah, it's one of the few, there, there are some, but there are, there, are, there's always a debate, right? There's a lot of things that come up and we say, oh, is that something which is only, you know, dependent on the Israel? Is it only going to happen in Israel? And the rabbis duke it out. And a lot of things we find out, no, actually, we do do them outside of Israel as well. But, but this is one of those things which can, is only carried in, carried out in Israel. And another thing which is really interesting is that it's not only carried out only in Israel it's really only meant to be carried out when we what we were talking about a second ago about when it, not only that israelites are here and living in the land but that the land is divvied up into the different um tribes. tribes exactly thank you for that word so once everyone is sort of divvied up into tribes which we can't really do anymore it's not really going to happen but if we were able to do that we then move from a status of this being what we call a rabbinic commandment uh, to being a Torah commandment.
0: Excellent. excellent.
1: And when we move into that, right, that's always the big shift. If you're in a, if you're doing a rabbinic commandment, um, it's very important. We take it very seriously, but it's not at the same level as a Torah commandment. Torah commandments are things that we try desperately not to have to, um, well, I was going to say obviate, but that actually comes up in this, in this discussion. We try not to uh, um, transgress. That's a real bad transgression. If we need wiggle room and we need things to, be um uh, maybe changed in some way altered in some way we're much more comfortable doing that with a rabbinic decree as opposed to a uh, torah decree
0: so for someone who's not who's listening who's not really it's it's, it's to me it's a clear explanation but the difference being we can boil it down to a commandment that's from god himself which is right there in the text versus a commandment that's been interpreted by the rabbis that we accept as an obligation, but it's not directly out of God's mouth. Correct.
1: Correct. Um, and so those, that, that status, um, only becomes, um, we only have a full status of Shemitah at that point when we have the, the the different tribes living in Israel in their different areas. That's a, that's
0: Um, actually a great, that's a great point. And, uh, but, but we still do it. And actually, uh, before we before we move forward, because we, we're, we're moving forward and kind of going ahead in terms of how we're practicing and rabbinic versus not, right. and already into the carrot peels and what have you. Yes. Um, <laughs> but w- w- before I jump ahead, was there any other text that you wanted to reference?
1: So there's one other text, and uh, this one is um, – I, oh, I wrote – wait a minute. I don't know exactly. It's 3421. I believe it's in – as in um, Devarim, I think it's in Deuteronomy. Okay. Don't, I, I'll double check that if we want to put that maybe in the notes or something. But there's this one other section where it talks about um, all three things. It talks about Shabbat, it talks about um, uh, Shemitah and then Shvit, and it talks about Shavuot. It connects all three, which is interesting because Shavuot, the the holiday of weeks, Pentecost. right? Pentecost. Thank you. Is a is a holiday which is a mirror image. That we do every year of this whole layout from uh, the different Shemitah to to the yovel to the to the jubilee year. We we have it exactly right. So we count forty nine days from Passover to uh shavuot the 50th day is shavuot and that's a day of rest and it's i mean it it just mirrors um the whole uh the whole process of going from every seven years letting the land lay fallow till you get to the 50th year and then the 50th year is another day we're we're big on numbers in judaism and this is one of those areas where where it does come up um okay so that's basically the background that's those are our texts that we're going to look at um in in detail
0: great so that's awesome Now. We, we, which we've done a little bit. There were Jews in the land always at some point, despite the fact that we were expelled from the land. I mean, forget the fact that it, that that uh, um, the Jewish people all went down. At one point, there were no Jews left. Right? Everyone went. Jacob went, and everyone was down in, uh, in unless someone hit out. But right. everyone was down in Egypt, and then we came back mm-hmm. a hundred years later. And then since then, there's always been a Jewish presence, even. With the expulsion by the Babylonians and the expulsion from the Romans, but to me and I and I and now I'm here too, and I'm not an expert. Matter of fact, I found the first year really ex- the first shemitah year, the sabbatical year that we were here, very exciting but very stressful yes. because I wanted to do it right. And and there are a lot of nuances. And so when it ended, I wanted to make a shirt that said "I survived" <laughs> of whatever whatever year it was, fourteen. 14- right years ago. Um, But in my awareness, the observance of the the, the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, really only began to come back into vogue, if you will, in the 1800s, when we really started to reestablish Jewish life here. And a lot of that Jewish life was, um, was agricultural. So you're building you're draining swamps and you're you're plant, planting vineyards and you're planting orchards and you're planting all this which becomes the staple of your economy it's right. no longer you're no longer yes we're privileged to be back here in the land unlike the jews in in uh in in the desert for 40 years who god was feeding and 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 many of them were kind of socialist pioneers and right and assumed correctly that they the work of the the sweat of their brow was was making it all happen but then lo and behold someone comes along as well wait a minute which is that year that we have yep. wh- what do you I, I don't know much about it do you know anything about how that was overlaid I and mean, i don't know that i don't imagine it was very popular then
1: um, so it was interesting because I think from what I've seen it, during the late 1800s, I think it was around 1880, if I'm not mistaken, when, when we started having a majority of Jews living or ah, more Jews, I should say living here, it started to come up. It's sort of like sort of bubbling up, wait, what about this whole Shemitah thing? And and, and when's it supposed to be? And when's it going to happen? Um, I believe uh, the first one that was recorded was around 1880, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I'm not my my dates are not my strong point. Um, but what's interesting is that the real conversation conversation started around 1909, 1910, that that was one of the years. Um, of Shemitah. And uh, it comes up as being very prevalent because Rav Cook, who was the first chief rabbi of Israel, um, is asked the question and he has to figure out what to do. And like you said, there's a lot of stress. Um, people are making their way in, 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 in not the easiest ways. And things are, I'm sure there was a lot of faith that these people had, but still to, to tell them, guess what? No working the land for this entire time was, you know, I'm sure that people were, you know, f- fearful beyond fearful. Yeah, exactly. Ready to go back to Egypt. So they, so, um, so R- Rav Cook starts this whole process. Uh, he starts working on um his one of the ways to make it so that the land could still be worked while not being worked.
0: Right. So that's, that's so what you're getting into. Is I wanted to say a lot of. Particularly, non-Jews, even Jews, look at Judaism as very legalistic. We have a lot of sure. rules—six hundred and thirteen yep. commandments. Shemitah mm-hmm. is one of them, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of rules associated with each, with many of them. So you six hundred thirteen times a certain number, and there's a lot of stuff to follow. But it's all, but but it's also very practical. Mm-hmm. It's very malleable for real life. So Rav Cook, Rabbi Cook, the first chief rabbi, understood that. Understood the circumstances in which. This was coming about. And and so, what was his innovation?
1: So, his innovation was called heter mechira, which means a heter means um, like a permission, right? A, a sort of uh, allowance to do something that you might not have normally done. And mechira means sale. So, his idea was, uh, and he was very adamant about this actually in his writing, that this sort of pro- provision that he was allowing was because. Israel might not survive um, a full stop on, on doing any produce of any kind. They, they, didn't, they didn't have, I don't even think, the ability to import as much as we do now. Oh, so they, they were worried, what are we going to eat? How are we going to eat? And how will we as a, as a country survive? So his, his um, permission to sell the land, the idea was um, the land will be sold to non-Jews. Um, and then non-Jews will be able to work the land. I think they sold it for somewhere. I mean, this is probably more recent, not, not in that time, but more recently, if, if land is going through this process during a Shemitah year, they sell it for about $5,000 to someone who purchases it, who is non, not Jewish. And interestingly, I don't know if Rav Cook made this, this provision, but they, they make sure that the person keeps the, the seven Noahide laws.
0: Oh, nice. that very interesting. That's
1: um, it is important, right? That, that we are cautious and, and, and cognizant of our neighbors and, and what sort of laws we feel like everyone has to keep. That's the seven Noahide laws, um, which can be, you know, we can go into it another time. But, but these people come, they, they buy it for $5,000-ish at this time. They'll be, they'll be able to work the land. And then at the end of the year, um, we buy it back. Okay and so it's it actually mirrors in some way the process of people have learned about what happens with selling chametz right what we have a leaven exactly leaven during passover you're not supposed to have any in your house and so the idea is you sell the leaven bread and you put it into some place you sort of cordon it off in your house um and then when when the the, the passover holiday ends it's bought back um and that process it's it's almost identical, except one major thing, which is why this becomes controversial in this day and age, is that the the chametz, the leavened bread or leavened products that I have on passover I don't interact with it at all right. here when you talk about mechira, when you're selling the land, you are working the land, so it is a full on loophole as, it's one of the biggest loopholes you'll find, um, except for probably the other thing that comes up during this time, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, uh, about the remission of debts. But here, hetermachira is one of the main ways that we allow or, or keep food, uh, being produced in the land, um, and some, and I should say, it is controversial. Some people are not comfortable with it, and some people do not hold, as we say, by hetzer They don't buy food which is hetzer They feel that they should do a different process.
0: Right, and there are different processes, and and maybe Correct. we'll have a, a, a another. Conver- or we'll, We can go into that briefly. I mean, it's very
1: small. This the other idea is that what happens is it's called ozer Din, Okay, and there's a company. If I'm, I think it is a company, but it's also called. There's also been termed ozer haaretz. Right. And basically, what happens is. Is that a Beitin is known as a religious court. So this religious court is set up to look over the farmers' lands and what's being done on them. They ask the farmers to sign uh, full-on waivers, saying they're not going to work the land in any way. Um, and all the food is either um, some of it is they're, they're, sorry. I'll just before I get to that. The only food, like let's say that I was to purchase food that comes from Ozer Haaretz, that food all I'm paying is not actually for the food. I'm paying the expenses for the, for the baiting. And I'm paying for the salary for the rabbinic court and for its agents, the people who are the farmers. They become the agents of this court. Um, and so that process, a lot of people, I should say a lot, whatever, the people who are not com- comfortable with hetzer they will hold by otzer Um, and some of the stuff gets grown in the sixty or some of the stuff is, if they're stuck, they import it. There's lots of different ways that they, they work this out, but it's a way to make sure that, um, there is enough food to go around for everyone, um, but yet we're not working the land at all, in a right. sense.
0: Right. And actually, you, before I go into the, the question I was going to ask you, we also have here, because we live among a lot of Arabs, um, 20% of the state of Israel's is, uh, Israeli uh, Arab citizens, and another couple of million uh arabs in gaza and judean and samaria or, or what people sometimes refer to as the west bank so they're farming and and they're farming and they find a really great spike in interest in uh grapes and cucumbers and tomatoes that come from there among mm-hmm. people who don't who won't use the uh hetar mechira the the what my wife calls it's a, a legal fiction yes uh which which is the same as as the passover now one thing i wanted to ask you because i never Thought about it, the one the one thing that I know in terms of Passover, when we sell our leavened product, the chametz that we still keep in the house, but it's technically not ours. It's really not an actual sale. It's an option, right? We sell. We, we there's someone who who buys it and has a an option to come and claim it at any time. And and when you and I do that every year, we write down what we have. We write down. Where it's located in our house, and so we write down the value. And in order to, in order to take it, the non-Jew, and in, in Israel, most of the time, that's an Arab, um, who, who has the option to buy it, has to actually pay up, pay in full. And if by the end of Passover he hasn't exercised that option, then the then the contract or the arrangement is null and void. Is that the same with selling the land? Or is there actually a transition? Do you know?
1: So there's a, the one of the big differences um, with selling the land, and uh, there is a process that happens when you have Otzer beitin. Another thing that the farmers do is they actually have to sign over and say, "My field is now, as we call in Hebrew, hefker. It's free for all, right? right. right? And and what's interesting is I do recall learning from the rabbi who established um, this. Uh, town that we live in, Rabbi Riskin.
0: Yes.
1: He talked about how um, the process in both, I think, in both legal fictions, both when you're selling your leaven and when you're selling or, or sort of saying that everything I have is Hefker, it's free for all. You actually, he would require people to take whatever it was that they were making free for all and put it on their porch. And then he would drive around and take things off of people's porches to make sure that it wasn't a legal fiction, that he was actually carrying out that process. So if we were to walk out and just say, hey, anybody can take this up. Nobody came and then bring it back into our house. That's not, you know, that is a legal fiction. He was doing his best to make sure that these legal fictions um, don't occur, but in a sense, the people who I sell, it sounds like the people who who are purchasing the land, they own it in some sense. Now the way that the 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 food gets sort of transferred to the court and then from the court to the you know wholesalers and the wholesalers to the buyers and all those things, those things it gets very, very technical. Um, and so we're not going to go into that in full, but it does sound like in some senses, you're, you're doing, you are, you are in a process of illegal fiction, but in a sense, we're doing our best not to make it totally a fiction. Oh,
0: no, not right. It's not. In fact, it's, it's great that you say that because in our previous house, when we, before we sold and moved to the apartment that we're in, we had a apricot, lime, cherry, plum, apple, uh, the pear tree didn't survive and a grapevine. Wow. And, and when those, when the fruit came into season, during those sabbatical years, the two that we have observed, we actually made a public declaration. The only thing that we did, because we, we, we didn't announce it on Facebook, anyone who wants sure. apricots, come by, come by and help yourself. And the, actually, the main reason for doing that was, in fact, to protect the tree, because people would climb up in the tree and break the branches. And uh. we didn't that to happen. So we told people in the neighborhood whose kids we thought would be smart and respectful. And, but I mean, we would give them apricots and, and lemons. Oh, right. Lemon tree also. Uh, lemons. And the only thing I was very protective over was my limes. Yeah. Very very, very rare here in Israel. Uh, but but we would- totally- It was like our
1: Halloween a little bit. You would give it out like, a. <laughs> they would okay. come, they okay. would knock on the door and you'd say, here's some fruits and, you know, they'd take their fruits and go with it.
0: Could be. Um, but yeah, no, but we, 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 it, it's actually, I find it, and maybe this is a good segue into just sort of the the actual practice i mean we sure. we talked about we, we, we talked about not leaving food over but inevitably you're going to have leftovers let's say i had a sure. salad for lunch right and my salad consisted of all things that were grown in the land and i finished my salad because right. i because i do that but if i hadn't then i couldn't have scraped out the extra lettuce and cucumber and tomato mm-hmm. and thrown it in the garbage a lot of us will keep extra um, receptacles for mm-hmm this stuff on our kitchens and put that in. Um, it gets more complicated, for instance, on Friday nights, Fridays when when my wife makes chicken soup for Shabbat. Right. And the chicken soup has carrots and celery and onion and turnip mm-hmm. and whatever other, so some other veg, vegetable, sweet potatoes that are in there. So that during the course of the whole year, and this is getting, a, I wanna say before I continue, anyone who wants more information should always feel free to be in touch because this should be a dialogue. But so Mm. uh, inspiration from Zion at Gmail is a place and we'll we'll be glad to provide other sources. But because different vegetables and fruits come into season have different growing cycles, so the onion might be first and therefore subject to the Shemitah rules before the carrot or or the celery or something else. But you can really pretty much rest assured that for not just a year, but well into the second year, you're going to be, dealing with the issue of what what do you do with your leftover chicken soup?
1: 100%. And even, I mean, wine is a great example. Wine always is lagging, right? It's like the last thing because the wine is harvested at the end of the sixth year, is then pressed and this and that, and then becomes, you know, only the wine that you get almost the year after the sixth year is over. And then you're always sort of, You know, everyone, we got to finish this wine. And so practically speaking, a lot of things, like you said, is to have the receptacle that, that, that you can even pour the little bit of wine that's left or the, the onions or this. And then it it basically transmutes the whole soup. So I can't, if there's soup left, I have to put the whole soup into the, into the receptacle and leave it there for a while. Once it seems like it's gone bad, then I can throw it in the trash.
0: Right. And you mentioned wine, at least wines have a vintage and you know, the 2015 year and then the next one will be 2022 year that those are the ones you can see the date on Correct. the bottle and, and you can, but not only that we
1: have the, we have a thing that says it, just like we say that this is kosher and it's this and that, the symbol, there's also a, a symbol that says this is of this year of the Shemitah year. So, you Probably know, that
0: that but but the, 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 the difference with wine is that for people who drink wine, it's not a big burden to have an extra sip or two. If yeah. you're not really if you if you're not real or, or or pour yourself a little bit less, but then it gets complicated. I love to cook, sure. and, I'll, and I'll pour red wine into a lot of thing or white wine into fla- flavor it, and I just have to be really careful because right. now if I've made uh, I don't know something I made recently, uh, something that I use wine uh, to marinate.
1: You could marinate you could marinate a steak, and then if you marinate the steak there with the know. wine the steak now has this Kedushah, it has the, the right. And now it is, uh, you know, distinct in that way. And we have to take it and make sure that either eat it all or let it sit out and then throw it away. Thereafter.
0: Right. right. And, and I, and I have a feeling, even though this is an audio podcast that probably some people listening right now, we could see their eyes spinning because already that gets complicated and it is, but I, I think just from my perspective, what a great privilege that i have to be able to live here in the land of israel which happens to also be the state of israel mm. at a time where that during every seven year cycle how i eat what i eat mm. not just not the the food doesn't just have that status of kedushah of being uh, holy or sacred or or separate but what i'm doing with it also mm. it, it's always a constant reminder of of how we connect with God in a really, really practical way that that honestly, perhaps no one else in the world literally does or could, could right. even think of.
1: So it's interesting because when I have my conversations with uh, my co-host and pastor, this is the constant refrain that we have back and forth. And he says to me, but don't you just want everything to be fulfilled for you? I mean, wouldn't you just rather not have to worry about all these rules? And I say, oh, it's the opposite. I said, this is exactly what we look for. This is exactly what we love. We purposeful. love these intricacies. Yeah, it's purposeful. It keeps us mindful. i always tell him my favorite example is, you know, um, some people I've met and, and they are Jewish, they they find it totally burdensome to think how I tie my shoes in the morning is dictated by Jewish law. And I say, no, that's exactly it. Even when I'm tying my shoes, I'm I'm connected in some way. I'm doing something that I know that that, that God and the rabbis wanted, and that for me is very motivating.
0: Hundred percent. And now you've made now you've made a few people eyes roll a little bit more. Sure, we'll have to get into um, Rabbi Leiter. Let us wrap this up with just a like a current practical. One of the things that I always find also inspiring during during uh, the Shemitah year is that you'll drive around Israel and you'll see signs along the highway that say in Hebrew here we are observing shemitah and you see an empty field you see nothing mm. you don't right. you might see weeds popping up but you see people who are literally letting the land lie fallow you have wineries that also let their wine their great wine, grape, uh, wine grapes go hefker that anyone mm. can mm-hmm. take it's a tremendous statement of faith but it also requires um I know that there are and I honestly I'm kind of hoping that you're a little bit brushed up on it. Um I know that there are ways that we can help these people sure. who are you know all in their faith is in the is is in the roots of their of their being in the in the land that they harvest. Do you remember some of those ways? There's there's there are organizations that do such things?
1: So the organization that I thought of, um, that it actually reminds me of, is an organization called Leket. I don't know if you've heard of Leket. Sure, of course. Sure. So Leket is an organization here in Israel that I, f- I find it very interesting that this is actually a place where, you know, you think about – like you said, how can I help the winery? How can I help the farmer? But what's interesting, leket is is involved in a different uh, commandment that we have, yes. which is to take the corners of the fields and give it to those who are in need. And that's exactly what we started with, right? That yeah. the that the idea of shemitah of leaving it lay fallow is for these people who are in need can come and eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is I read up on leket and and I thought they've got to have lots of stuff going on during this time, but actually it's not the case. They too have a, their field. That they normally plant and they normally that's where they harvest and they take all those things and and all these people come and volunteer they harvest all this ve- these vegetables and they send them to the people who are in need and in this year in the shemitah year they're not doing it and they too need help and I think one of the ways we can help is to donate to this organization so that they can in some way help the people who are not getting vegetables during this year in, in the way- that they have in the other, or they do in other years.
0: I love that you said that. I'm going to do my best to research and come up with sort of a mutual fund of ways that people can connect because while people who are, uh, first of all, people who are not Jewish don't have a biblical obligation to do anything, but a lot of our uh, Christian friends who are listening want to connect. It's biblical, it's meaningful, and it is indeed relevant. And and of course, it's only something that's uh, relevant here in the land. So, so, so in a year and a half that we've grown really accustomed to doing things virtually, uh, I'm going to make a commitment that people are, can certainly be in touch and we'll find some ways to connect virtually. And and I'm reminding myself as I say this of an idea that I had during one of the pre previous uh, shemitah years, which is to actually give people a, a stake in. In this legally. And maybe you and I will have that conversation because it requires a little bit of um, legal fiction and 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 kind of rabbinic contract drawing. But I, I think that there are ways, and and if only as a way, as which is our mission from Genesis 1, 2, 3, to connect people in a in a new and meaningful way, but also to give people that extra, I don't know, just an extra measure of of connecting with God and the land of Israel and the, and the commandments that he gives us here in the land. I just think it's a beautiful opportunity and I want to, mm-hmm. I want to foster that. That um, sounds before great. We, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to add? So uh,
1: it's not as meaningful as what we were just saying, but I want to add one thing, which I find uh, uh, very interesting through all of this. Um one is just to give people an idea of sort of our, our legal, legal mind that comes up. One is that, um, one of the ways that we, uh, get through Shemitah is that we, we, um, we use greenhouses because anything which is uh-huh. not actually in the land and is above the land, we can actually harvest. So that's one of the ways that oats are all of those different things use, uh, that little legal, and it's not even a loophole. That one no, is a straight. That is a straight legal. But the other thing that comes up with this remission of debt, which is we started to talk about, I just want to point out, because this is something which actually saved the Jewish people, um, and it's called prose Prosbol yeah. is an idea that the rabbis said um we see now that just as we have been talking about here that we are no longer um an an, ag- uh, an agricultural society we're moving from the from the being in the farms to being into the in in the cities and there is a biblical commandment that says we cannot lend and take interest uh to the Jew- other Jews right and in fact it seems that it is fine actually to lend to people outside of our kinsmen and and give to other people and take interest but not to jewish people and we realized that's just not going to work and the other way we realized it wasn't going to work um was that what would happen if someone was in need and came up to you and said i'm going to take a 50-year loan on the 49th year just before the the jubilee year and they really were in so nobody started lending money people started saying no and the whole idea of this was to make sure that the needy had what they needed so the rabbis wrote in a thing and said, no, what we're going to do is we're going to start this thing called a Pro's bowl, which is a, a complete legal fiction. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it, it, it opens up a wider question of how do we deal with um, Torah laws? That that make it almost impossible to live. Right. Because this would have been the end of our society, if it were, if we didn't have a way that people could lend money when we were starting to live in cities, it would have been the end. And so the rabbis came up with this idea of um, drafting up these contracts. And it's amazing if you come to Israel and you one day say, I'm going to get uh, and have a bank account in Israel. These are the documents that that have been drafted up by the bank. You will see that this says we are uh, you're not actually paying interest and, and all sorts of things and, and and twisting and turning to try and make it so that the that the lending can happen and the bank can make money um, without actually doing it, so to speak. But that's one of the main things that comes up within the whole shemitah idea.
0: You're leaving us with an amazing cliffhanger oh. for next time. So people, uh, I, I'm I'm so thrilled and I'm so glad that you ended it that way. Because people think of Shemitah in terms of the land, and it's not only, right. and, and and the social safety net that is built in. Um, I, 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 I hope that everyone listening has found this as interesting and 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 inspiring, um, even if confusing. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's okay. And, and
1: guess what? You're not alone.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Try. Yeah. Come. Come. Make a salad in our kitchen this this year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, a blessing. And, and so I'm grateful. Um, I, I'm, I'm Rabbi Leiter, Chaim Leiter. Thank you so much. Um, I want to wrap up by thanking just a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, as we're having this conversation, it was something you said earlier. I thought of a, uh, a dear friend of mine who died this past year. His name was Naaman King. Mm-hmm. He was a Mennonite potato farmer, actually not far from where you grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. We became dear friends he would come and visit uh, a number of times. He would bring his family to Israel. And one time, I was driving, s- driving him south towards Stero, the city that's right on the Gaza border. And we, and I, I'll never ever in my life forget this. I'm so grateful. He looked at the land. Just, you you know where I mean. as we're going toward Beit Guvrin, and he said, "This is good land." And hmm. I actually want to write an article about that because the 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 the, the blessing that he he that he saw, but he evoked. And I didn't know it as a farmer. And, and actually, when he died this year, I asked his children, he, he was well into his 90s, and I asked his children, would it be meaningful if I went by that good land that he observed and, and um, scooped up some and sent it to him to put in his grave? And mm-hmm. they thought that was so beautiful to have some of the land, that good land of Israel, there buried with him in, in Lancaster County, That's Pennsylvania. Um, and when I opened it, so when I went to repack it, I got it. You don't really pay attention to the smell of dirt very often, but Mm -hmm. it had this great smell. Mm -hmm. So you knew it. Right. So so I'm thinking of my friend, Naaman King, and and hope that his family will be listening uh, to this and and that that will be a blessing to them. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to have special thanks also connected to the land in a little way um, to our friends who sponsor this uh, podcast um, the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. So, if you need something from a greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia, no, it's not fruit of the land, but it's still important. Go and visit them. And if you don't need a tree or a plant, but just want to thank them for making this possible, please do. And our good friends, the Coin Family. Um, as always, we really want this to be a dialogue. So please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and, and participate. Send us your questions and as your feedback. We're going to keep having segments like this and specific topics coming up that, you, that you're that you asking about. The listener, ask the rabbi, and I and I hope that we'll have the privilege of having Rabbi Leiter back again.
1: It would be my honor.
0: Um, so thank you all for listening. Uh, stay safe and healthy wherever you are and continue to be blessed. God bless you. I'm a